Hi, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to episode three of ONP Research Insights, presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetists. I'm Dr. Steve Gard, Editor-in-Chief for the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. This episode is sponsored by Allard USA. My guest today is Dr. Shane Wardeman, PhD and Certified Prosthetist. He's the Director of Clinical Research within Hanger's Clinical and Scientific Affairs and the Hanger Institute for Clinical Research and Education. Dr. Waterman received his Master's of Science degree in O&P at Georgia Tech University and completed his doctoral work through the Biomechanics Research Building at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. He completed his prosthetics residency at Shriners Hospital, Los Angeles, and orthotics residency in private practice. Dr. Waterman is a four-time Train Hard Award winner, received the 2018 Carlton Philauer Prize for Outstanding Contribution to Prosthetic Science and Practice, and the 2020 winner of the Academy's Research Award. He's also the current research director for the American Orthotic and Prosthetic Association. Not only is he active in research, but Dr. Waterman is still clinically involved with a handful of patients. Today, we're going to be discussing a recent article that Shane published in JPO entitled Mobility Analysis of Amputees, MAT-6, Mobility, Satisfaction, and Quality of Life Among Long-Term Dysvascular Diabetic Prosthesis Users, Results of a Cross-Sectional Analysis. Welcome to the podcast, Shane. Uh, this is a really interesting article. I like the topic matter. I like the population that you selected because... It seems like a lot of the research and a lot of the media attention is garnered by traumatic amputees, but they're not the majority of people who we fit with lower limb prostheses. I'm just curious right off the bat, why did you focus on this particular population? Yes. Uh, thank you, Steve, for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to, to be on the podcast and, and especially uh, getting the chance to interact with yourself, having uh, so much admiration for your work as well. So thank you. Uh, you know, okay, so let's kind of jump into it then, you know, yeah, why look at uh, this population? I think you hit it right on the head when you said, you know, so much of the research is in trauma. Um, during your opening there, you know, you mentioned the fact that I, I do work uh, still with patients uh, in the clinic, certified process. And, you know, in that interaction, what I found, you know, kind of similar to the motivation for even going back to to do my doctorate and, and really get into research, this age old, you know, well, why are we doing this? And just not having enough answers. Once I started doing the research and, and continuing to work with patients, I realized we're getting more answers, but they weren't specific in this population of, you know, this huge population of patients we're seeing with lower limb amputation, the, you know, the patients specifically with the diabetic dysvascular amputation. I think if you take the interaction that we're having in the clinic, and then you wrap that into everything we're seeing in terms of uh, forecasting for just the general American population, you know, everything points that this is not only currently a large population that we're serving, but it's going to be an even bigger population that we serve. So, um, you know, all that I think points to this need for more and better understanding of, of what it is we, we do for these patients. I agree, Shane. And, and typically, all that we hear about is kind of the five-year uh, mortality rate on this particular uh, group of subjects or group of patients. And uh, 
but yet there's much more to the story. And in fact, uh, I, I was kind of, you know, I, I tend to think of them as a population in decline. And maybe that's the wrong attitude. You know, uh, I, I would say based upon your study, your findings, we need to change the mindset a little bit here. Uh, is that kind of your thinking as well? Yeah, I think you're I think you're right on, you know, and I don't think you're um, in isolation there when you consider the uh, as a population in decline. They are absolutely dealing with much bigger issues than the amputation. Um, but what I think we see and, and having gone through that myself is that this mindset that the, you know, this population is declining and, and you know, this high mortality, well, it's almost kind of a lost cause type of mentality and people maybe aren't taking the full consideration and approach to say, okay, well, maybe, yes, the disease is taking them down one pathway, but is there something that if we are active with our prosthetic care and, and provide good care, can we perhaps change that? Can we create some sort of a uh, inflection point in that tra trajectory that they're on to, to maybe slow down that that decline uh, that you mentioned um, and so when we get into the study that's you know when we're looking at this population that's really what we wanted to do is start to understand you know can we look at mobility quality of life satisfaction and not only just in the short term but also look at it in the long term can we go further out and see what we have you know we ended up looking at you know patients as far as seven years out which Again, coming back to that five-year mortality comments, you know, now we're talking about people that are living and and I say thriving with amputation in some cases, as far as you know, seven years out. So um, it, it really did start to speak to this issue in terms of just okay, well, there's nothing we can do uh, when in fact there may be something we can do. And so you kind of, you gave a good overview of the study. I think you even got into the purpose a little bit, but what were your hypotheses or expectations? What did you think you were going to find by conducting this study? Yeah, I think, you know, at, at the heart of it, when we got into the analysis, we really felt that for the patients that we had outcomes on for, for this time frame, you know, and this will get into, I think, some of the limitations that we'll want to address uh, here uh, later. But, you know, we did think that if a person is up and moving with a prosthesis, if a person is uh, getting the benefits of, I'll say, mobility, then we expected that they would be enjoying a good quality of life. You know, I think from, from some of our earlier work, we, sh we saw that you know, mobility was, was directly correlated with high quality of life satisfaction. So if this person is able to be up and moving, then we expected to see that reflected and, and really that could be sustainable. Absolutely. Um, well, let's get into the study itself. Uh, would you please describe the experimental protocol that you use for this particular study? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, that's a great question. I think before we dive in too deep, you know, it's worth recognizing, you know, there's different ways to, to undertake analysis and studies. And in this case, you know, it was a retrospective analysis of clinical outcomes. So, you know, getting into really the, the data collection here, you know, we, we have within our um, network of clinics have been slowly uh, implementing 
as standard of care, a collection of, of outcomes as part of the process. And what that has done kind of as a secondary effect is by having a standardized process that we're pushing, we have these this data on these patients. And, and so we, all of them are being aggregated centrally. And then we go in and, and we say, okay, well, let's just focus then on the patients that have the amputation due to uh, diabetes and vascular disease. Um, and, and we look at uh, the three different areas that I mentioned. So we have the plus M for mobility or the prosthetic limb users survey of mobility. We administer the 12 item short form. Um, there are a few other uh, ways that it can be administered, but if you're um, not familiar, plus M is built on um, using item response theory. And the benefit of that is that if you're using it correctly, um, then really you can translate that score across the different methods of, of that plus M being administered, whether it's through the 12 item short form, or, you know, I'd say probably the most other common is the computer adaptive test. And so we use the plus M and the 12 item short form. And then we also have, um, going back a little bit further, the, from the PEQ. So the prosthesis evaluation questionnaire, this is a, I'd say one of the original maybe, uh, this is a patient report outcome instrument that was developed in the early 2000s. And the benefit of it is that it, they ended up going in and validating each of the subsections. So there's one subsection in particular, the PEQ well-being. I think it's really uh, gives you great information on, the, on your patients. And two is when we're trying to implement a process within the clinic, you know, the most viable thing in clinic is time. And because of the way the system continues to change, it becomes more and more challenging in terms of time within the clinic. So we needed something that could give us quality of life in a very quick manner, um, but also in a ver uh, very sensitive manner. And I think we found that with the PEQ well-being. So we also administer those questions. That's how we then ultimately get to this, these constructs of mobility, as well as quality of life, and then satisfaction with amputation uh, and, and well-being. And, and what were the demographics of your research subjects themselves in terms of the people who you did end up recruiting into the study? Yes. Okay. So in order to be in the study, um, we went through and, and uh, now I would have loved to have bilateral amputation, but um, just at this point, we're starting with unilateral because, well, that's where you, you, we had the most. So we start with uh, first to be included. Individuals had to have uh, unilateral amputation, um, also for purposes really meant to, uh, driven by the plus M uh, validation effort. Uh, individuals had to be 18 and older. So, you know, we're not looking at any younger. Now, truthfully, if we put age in the context of the etiology that we also uh, limited, vascular and diabetes, uh, you're not going to really see a lot of under 18, right? So, um, those two obviously have a lot of overlap, uh, but amputation etiology, vascular disease, diabetes. Um, and then uh, we also, you know, just by limitation of the way that we administer the outcomes, uh, it is limited to English and, and Spanish speaking uh, individual. And uh, they also have had to have had a prosthesis uh, previously. And that's related to this, um, again, the validation uh, of of the plus M where it's not really quite valid with individuals that don't have a prosthesis. So I had to have had a prosthesis. And then we also had to be able to, because we wanted to go in and, and um, 
put them into these different buckets in terms of how long it's been since their amputation. And we had to have their amputation on record as well. Um, so a time since amputation on record as well. That's good. a lot of good information to collect for a study such as this. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Allard USA. iFit can help those with limb loss get back on their feet quickly. Your patients shouldn't have to wait to get the help they need. With iFit prostheses, your patients can be fit in a clinic in just a few hours. Amputees suffer greatly with less movement, leading to more muscle atrophy, deconditioning, and reduced joint range of motion when prosthetic fitting is delayed. Help get them back on their feet quickly, enjoying the activities they love most. Give your patients the freedom and mobility they deserve with iFit. For more information, be sure to visit us online at allardusa.com and click on the iFit tab. Welcome back. So Shane, what were the primary findings of your investigation? Yeah, so I think, you know, let's start with mobility, right? Which I think uh, we've kind of started to understand is maybe a universal goal uh, when it comes to lower limb prosthetic rehab. So when we talk about mobility, we actually see that there's really no difference when you're looking at the initial time points of, you know, between zero to three and four to six months. And then when you go as far out as, you know, again, 61 to 84 months was, was the furthest out we, we went. And what that means is that, you know, these patients are able to continue their mobility as far as 84 months out. Now, a limitation that's worth acknowledging, you know, this is cross-sectional. Uh, so it's, you know, I'd love to say that we have tracked the same people for seven years. Um, maybe that's a stay tuned uh, <laughs> because we are working to get to that point. But at this point, cross-sectional, much like uh, we'll say the way that you might study a pediatric population, you know, and look across an 18 year span, we took the same approach. Um, so we do see that there's mobility in these individuals. And some of these individuals that are seven years post-amputation are still maintaining the same levels of, of mobility you see on average as those that are zero to three months out. Um, so uh, um, that was the mobility. Now, if we go like, let's talk about quality of life, satisfaction. You know, these are things that, uh, interestingly, what we see first is when we look at kind of this uh, initial post-amputation period or zero to three months, four to six months, you see that the uh, quality of life satisfaction is slightly elevated compared to where the average comes in when individuals are, are you know, two to seven years after amputation. I think that's important because it helps us recognize that there's probably this initial period of maybe elation or excitement uh, for individuals. And that's, that's not exactly what I would say an aha moment. I think a lot of us in clinic would see that and say, yeah, that, that happens because the patients are very excited to get to that next phase after amputation, which is being up and walking. But then there's kind of a relaxation. They kind of come back down from cloud nine percent. But then if we can maintain good prosthetic care, uh, the patients are reporting, you know, seven and a half out of 10, you know, 7.5 out of 10 is a very good score for quality of life. Yeah, I was kind of surprised how uh, a lot of these measures uh, were just kind of level over the course of time. You know, when I would have, again, thinking about this as a population in decline, I thought quality of life, mobility, uh, satisfaction, all of these would have dropped off over time, but they didn't. And that was 
kind of it was very pleasing to see that result. I would I would agree, and I think what's really kind of nice is if you you know this is population, this is you know research where now when you take this into the clinic as a clinician, you have you're able to actually benchmark your individual patient, which means that if this person's coming in lower, you sh- you should have a conversation with the patient to just understand and make sure that are there things that are happening that maybe could be addressed, um, because the population would tell you that they can be doing up to seven and a half. And conversely, if they're, if they're doing above that seven and a half, let's say, then if the person is, is saying that they're just not, they're not happy, but, but through these questionnaires, you're seeing a 7.5, then, you know, you have the ability to, to level set and say, look, I, I see that the quality of life is at an eight and a half, nine. And, and you're, you're saying that maybe that's, you know, you're not happy with that you know, just be aware of what the population average is. And then let's have that conversation about what else we can do, but it might also help with maybe setting expectations too. And were there any unanticipated surprises in your findings? Yeah, I, d- I don't know if the nature of this study is one that really brings up a lot of an- unanticipated surprises. Um, and that's, it's really, you know, we hypothesize that those individuals could be, um, could be achieving this high level of, of mobility and quality of life. Um, I guess if I had to really be backed into a corner and, and be completely truthful, uh, it it is surprising to see that this this level of, of mobility and quality of life are still being reported at levels so high. When you have you know patients this far post amputation that are uh, you know as we've already alluded to, I know suffering is a bit of a harsh word, but um, they're definitely having to manage a very complicated disease process that is not a static disease process by any means. Um, and and subsequently to see this, I think it does provide, going back to earlier comments even, provides us hope as clinicians that we can do something that can impact and, and be meaningful um, rather than just kind of throwing our hands up and, and saying there's there's really nothing we can do. I agree. I mean, I think the results, like I said, are very encouraging in that uh, this people in this population uh, post uh, fitting, you know, a number of years are still very mobile and active and uh, the quality of life tends to be just as high as whenever they were initially fitted with their prosthesis. Were there any notable problems you encountered in the course of the study that are kind of worth sharing or kind of giving advice to someone else who may want to tackle a project like this? Yeah, the most challenging is, so this is a real world evidence type analysis where we're going in and looking at data that's being collected. And the biggest challenge is that there are a number of of data points that weren't able to be uh, included because you know, unknown data or incomplete outcomes. Uh, it just wasn't being done. And so that's, I mean, operationally, there's value to us to see that and understand that because now we've gone back and we continue to refine our process and, and help uh, improve what's happening in the clinic. Um, but that's definitely the biggest challenge. And, and you do have to, you know, treat the data and, and look at it in a way to understand, you know, are those outliers possibly influencing your findings uh, or, are the outliers representative of, of the data that you still have? Um, and so that's always a challenge and a headache 
that that happens with all pretty much any level of high high uh, real world evidence, large numbers of data. And you've already alluded to the fact that you'd like to do a longitudinal study with this population if possible. Uh, do you have any other recommendations for future research directions? Right. So absolutely. The first one you know, to reiterate is looking longitudinal now so that we can understand, okay, if we have a starting point of, of X, what is what does that person go down or what percentage are going to maintain that X? And that's something that's a little bit challenging to look at cross-sectionally. Uh, and then kind of where we want to take it next is we want to start layering in what, what are the factors that can possibly, you know, influence and, and change that trajectory, both good and bad, you know, and, and this gets into longitudinal, but it's really talking about um, some of these, these uh, I'll say predictive analytics where, if we can provide a patient that is dealing with diabetic dysvascular amputation, if we can provide them with this level of care, uh, you know, whether that's, let's say, PT or maybe nutritional health uh, or what's obviously kind of the heart of, of the world I'm in, with, you know, maybe it's some sort of prosthetic intervention. But if we can layer in all these different levels of care and types of care and then understand which ones... Uh, have different types of impact and how much in terms of changing that course that that patient is on, uh, recognizing again that it's especially in a, a population that's managing a, a very complicated health condition, it, it may not be about improvement as much as it is about maintaining. So, you know, that's kind of where I think we want to take it and where we've already started to position ourselves to be able to, to get there in, hopefully within the next couple of years. Very nice. Well, as I said previously, excellent work, Shane. Uh, and kind of wrapping things up here, do you have any funding for this study that you'd like to acknowledge? Um, so th this was done uh, entirely with, with internal uh, resource. Uh, so, I mean, I think when I talk about acknowledgements, I, I do want to take a minute to just acknowledge uh, the rest of, of team that I'm working on, uh, my co-authors, uh, Dr. Uh, Jim Campbell, and then also Mr. Phil Stevens, um, but also then the uh, some of the research assistants that are uh, supporting our team, Duisha England, uh, Mandy Laurie, uh, Sophia Sands, you know, these individuals are all part of, of this effort as well. But then probably most important uh, acknowledgement goes to the clinicians that have figured a way to integrate outcomes within their, uh, within their day-to-day -day workflow, working with patients, because um, that's really what allows us to start to understand what's happening in terms of real-world evidence. So. Very nice. Thank you for your time, Shane. Excellent discussion. We've come to the end of our podcast, so I'd like to thank Dr. Waterman for sharing his insights and discussing his research with us today. I want to remind everyone that you could, if you'd like additional information on Dr. Waterman's project, you can access the full article about this study in the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. So thanks again for joining us for this episode of ONP Research Insights presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetists. We'd like to extend a special thank you to our episode sponsor, Allard USA. For more information, you can visit their website at allardusa.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 
Please plan to join us again next month for the Academy's ONP Research Insights podcast, when we'll be hosting another author and discussing their recent JPO article. We'll see you next time.